You are listening to LP Uncovered, a music podcast hosted by myself, Lauren Plant. On this episode, I chat with a brilliant singer, songwriter, producer from Norfolk, Sam Kelly, as we uncover his new album with his band, The Lost Boys, called The Wishing Tree. The band consists of Sam, as well as Jamie Francis, Graham Coe, Evan Carson, Archie Churchill Moss and Toby Share, who together have been nominated for BBC Radio 2 Folk Awards Best Group. Sam himself was recipient of the Horizon Award for Emerging Artists back in 2016. So, let's uncover Sam Kelly and the Lost Boys, The Wishing Tree. Sam Kelly, welcome to LP Uncovered. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Thank you so much. You are officially my first artist on the podcast. Woohoo! I know. I'm very <laughs> excited that we are going to be uncovering your new LP or new album with the Lost Boys, The Wishing yep. Tree, which you can see right here. <laughs> yeah, how exciting. <laughs> Is it nice to be able to see it, just like the copies, know that everyone's got them and yeah, yeah. quite a relief. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's just been, as, as with any album recording, it's, it's been quite a long process, but um, I mean, it's just amazing to have it out there we just we didn't think we were going to be able to do it basically because yeah. of you know we tried to start doing it at the start of lockdown had to cancel it twice and then you know we ended up getting quite lucky that we we actually recorded it sort of in the gap between the two lockdowns last year so throughout September last year so yeah it's just I, it's still very surreal that it's yeah. actually a thing <laughs> how long did it take to put it all together and get the whole album sorted would you say well, recording-wise, it, it took us about a month of recording. We were very lucky. We had a beautiful studio up in Yorkshire, Kate Resby's amazing studio um, that we just stayed at, basically, and recorded it, just stayed there for a month. Um, and then there's just the whole sort of, you know, long process of listening to things, having, like, existential crisis, thinking you're terrible at music and all the songs were <laughs> rubbish, then going away, listening again with fresh ears, and then... Yeah. coming back up to mix it in the studio a few months later um and then the mastering so that all you know that all took about eight or nine months um and then yeah the actual release side of it um yeah. so yeah all in all it was well yeah so we recorded it around this time last year so it's been about 11 months and you kind of touched on it then how was it releasing it with with kate rusby's pure records because this is the first time with the lost boys that you've recorded uh, or released through pure records yeah uh it's it's amazing they're just i mean they're such an amazingly inspiring family in the, the the way that they work they're sort of you know kate's career is like their sort of cottage industry as a family and it's you know her, her sister emma runs the record label her parents were involved with with sort of the distribution side of things and um you know her brother joe is a was the sound engineer for the studio and so it, it really is it's it's quite an amazing thing really and they're they're all just so lovely as well you know yeah. it's you you do get you know we're lucky in the folk scene that you don't get it as much but but the sort of small forays i've had into the more mainstream m music industry you get used to this sort of certain type of character you know the kind mm -hmm. of full of waffle and industry jargon and stuff but so it, it's just so refreshing to you know meet a completely normal lovely family where their business 
could be any sort of normal family business you know like a butcher yeah. or something but it just so happens that they're all incredibly <laughs> talented at, at music and i know and, it's annoying really isn't it that the whole family are, are that good yeah so jealous <laughs> <laughs> and it's been four years since um pretty peggy obviously when that was your second album the lost boys in 2017 was it a purposeful four-year break i know obviously covid kind of got in the way of it or was it a case of you guys were all just so busy that it's just taking you a bit of time to come back into it yeah, no, I, it definitely wasn't intentional. It was, um, well, I've, I remember I, I looked back on, on something from 2018 when we played at Underneath the Stars Festival um, where I'd said, we're working on a new album <laughs> and it's going <laughs> to oh be God. out soon. And we had, we had about half the album written at that point. And it, just, it was just circumstance that, that dictated we didn't get it done until four years later, which it just seems mental that it's been that long. It doesn't feel that long because I've had projects in between. I've had the duo album I did with Ruth Notman. And so it feels like I've been busy the whole time. But then suddenly people are like, come on, you haven't released an album for three years. And I'm like, oh, gee, we haven't. So then you start recording, then it's another year before anything happens. So, no, it definitely wasn't in, intended. It's just sort of that that's the way it happened, really. And we're going to try and not leave it as long until the next yeah, one. Yeah. But who knows? Well, I was going to say, last time I spoke to you for the radio was about a year ago. And I listened back to it and there was like a we've got it coming but it was like you teased it it wasn't like it's here it is it's ready to go so I've learned kind of not to make too much time promises because everything just takes five times as long as you think it's going to and there's um you know various snags and hiccups that that come with the release process well looking at the cd itself I love looking at artwork and things like that where um where's the artwork come from or who's the idea behind that obviously it's so I presume the wishing tree from the title track song yeah, so that that song, The Wishing Tree, um, is a song that I wrote. Um, I co-wrote it with a guy from Cornwall called Gareth Lee, actually, when I used to live in Cornwall. We used to do a bit of songwriting together. Um, but the story of that song is about a place I used to go. I'm, I'm a very outdoorsy person. I've always been obsessed with nature. And that song in particular is about a place where I used to go and basically just sleep in a field under this huge old hawthorn tree um not far from my house and and just sort of look up at the stars and yeah it was it's sort of quite a magical magical place for me and yeah so that's what that song is about and what that's what the artwork is is inspired by and we had an amazing um tony pitts uh who is kate rusby's sort of regular graphic designer all right he he did all the design for the album and it was a commissioned wood print, that piece of art, which looks amazing. The original, um, I think I've got it. Oh. No, no I haven't. No, I haven't. It's at my mum's. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but yeah, and... so yeah, commissioned original piece of art. Yeah, we love it. Yeah, I love it. And obviously on the back, you've got a nice... Actually, you do all look a little bit lost on the back of the photo. Um, <laughs> Facing the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Where Where was the photo taken? Do you remember? Yeah, so that is in the Peaks, just uh, the Peak District, just outside Stony Middleton, where we um, we did the album photo shoot there, and also a couple of music video shoots. And um, we stayed in this amazing place called Middleton Cottages, and we had a studio booked to do the video and photo shoots in, but they cancelled on us last minute because of COVID. So um, we just basically spent quite a stressful but fun couple of days just driving around the peak district looking for locations um and we found that place it was just up on top of this ridge overlooking the valley that stony middleton is in you can't see it in that photo but actually across the other side of the valley um 
they they were filming the new Mission Impossible film, and everyone was very excited because Tom oh. Cruise was was over was flying in there in a helicopter every day. Yeah, or something. yeah, I saw photos of him like in a massive train, like. Yeah. yeah, that was it. That was right really? next to where we were. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that'd be quite yeah. cool if you had in the corner, just like <laughs> the train, train just falling out the sky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which should quite go with the whole album, but it might do. Yeah. Well, you never know. Like, we would have definitely gone with it. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, well, yeah. So going like kind of track by track through the album. Obviously, the first mm. track is "Bluebird," which is yep. a very uplifting song about ultimately what is a, a really tragic story. Could mm. you go into more detail about the story itself? Yeah, so um, it's the story of Donald Campbell, who was the guy who he set a bunch of land and water speed records in the sort of mid 20th century. And uh, all of the water speed records were done on this this speedboat called Bluebird. And he actually died in in an attempt to set another water speed record. And it was all all those water speed records were done on Coniston Water in the Lake District. And um, that's right near where Jamie, the banjo player from the band, grew up. He grew up in West Cumbria, so it's it's quite a well-known story, obviously. And so it was Jamie's idea to write a song about that. And a few years ago, it was sort of all in the news because they'd kind of refurbished this original Bluebird boat and it was going for its first sort of, you know, journey on Coniston Water. Um, and we kind of, when we when we came together to talk about writing a song for it, yeah, obviously, as you say, it's a very tragic story. Um, and we sort of, we thought it just kind of didn't sit right having a sort of, you know, sad song about it because I think of the nature of the story of what he was trying to do, you know that there's that huge risk there and risk to your life and, you you know, you're, you're trying things that have never been done before. Um, and so we we wanted to try and turn it into a positive song because... You know, I think it is different from a just sort of standard tragic accident story kind of thing in that it was somebody reaching for something, knowing full well that there were, you know, huge risks involved um, and how that's quite a powerful thing because it's, yeah, we sort of wanted to capture that kind of feeling of you, you, you're trying to strike for what you want to do and, uh, Mm. you know, shoot for your dreams, but if you fall then you know that's just what happens and you want to focus on the the kind of positive journey instead so that's what we tried to do with that song did you always want to have like the beginning of the album quite an uplifting like as soon as you hear the first two seconds you're like here we go it's the sam kelly and the lost boys new music was it quite important to open the cd off like that well yeah i mean we we actually had spoken about that quite a lot because that is what we've done with both of our releases up to this point it's just sort of the standard right the album started now we're gonna you know punch you in the face with with really fast (laughs) like uplifting music and so we did have a conversation about that whether we should do something different but it just kind of as the songs started coming out and appearing in the recording process it just felt to all of us like bluebird should be the Hmm. the opener to the album because you know it's it's just it's sort of quite an anthemic uplifting song and just with the context of of the current time and how we were all feeling um during the album process it just felt like the right thing to do really to have that sort of nice uplifting thing first
And then on to track two, you've got Tinker's Poteen. Am I saying that yeah. correctly? Well, it's, it's Pochine, apparently. Pochine. Okay. Yeah. There are a couple more tracks that I'm going to need you to <laughs> yeah, that, um, help with the translation. Well, how to say it. But um, yeah. So it's a traditional song. And for that one, you brought in Michael McColdrick, um, yeah. who you've worked with, I think in particular with Pretty Peggy album. Why that yeah. song in particular? Did you, did you get Michael coming on board? Well, it was, um, you know, Mike's a fantastic Ilium Pipes player. And when we were getting together a version of that song and we realized we wanted to have this sort of big uplifting kind of tune section in it, we, we sort of wanted to bulk out the tune with Ilium Pipes because it mm-hmm. it's a song about Ireland and a very powerful sort of traveler-based tradition in Ireland, which is the illegal brewing of pochine from from potatoes um and sort of you know it, the kind of underground society of people moving around with these sort of pop-up distilleries brewing this stuff running away from the english magistrates at the same time and um and the Ilium pipes is just such a powerfully irish instrument so yeah we just we, we decided that we wanted we wanted that in the tune and felt it really fit with the song so and and Mike is kind of your go-to guy for that really yeah, yeah, he'll yeah. just you know you'll just send him it and he'll just send it back the next day and you're just like oh right that's perfect <laughs> yeah so it was great And track three got Guiding Light, which again is a really uplifting song. And I think definitely something over the last year, it seems to resonate a lot with people now in particular. Was that written or anything in mind towards the, the situation over the last couple of years or? Well, actually, it's, it's quite funny because um, a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the sort of lyrical imagery in that song does seem like it's talking about the pandemic. But actually, I, but... I wrote that song before, before I wrote that song in in 2018 um and it was actually just a love song about my girlfriend <laughs> and oh, wow. um yeah the, the, but it, it was interesting because there, there is lyrical imagery about like the illness and sickness spreading and stuff but that wasn't that wasn't <laughs> anything to do with covid i was trying to be all metaphorical about just the general scary outside world really so it's interesting how that has become sort of more poignant than it was intended to be in the first place but it it was originally just sort of a happy love song really yeah that must be quite amazing about when you write songs that that interpreted differently at different stages like you say is that something that's quite rewarding as an artist yeah well I mean I you know I haven't I'm I'm not a particularly prolific writer in that I sort of this is the the album where I've written the most original music um, of anything that I've released in the past, and which was a great thing for me to do, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but some some friends of mine and peers I know who are amazingly prolific writers and just write all the time. I'm not like that. I have to sit down and and work at it. So I haven't, you know, I haven't perhaps had my my writing analysed in that kind of way. To, but so it's interesting that this album is kind of the first time I've had that experience, yeah. really. Um, and yeah, I guess it's part and parcel of being a writer that that people will sort of find their own meaning in stuff that you've riff, you've written that might be intended to be about something else. But I think that's kind of one of the beauties of songwriting, really, is sort of 
you know you want to make things relatable to people and for people to find their own meaning and stuff so yeah it's really interesting you are my compass you're my guide in life you are my harbor in this A track four, you got the banks of Sweet Dundee, which is a bit of a tearjerker. Yeah, it's, it's not a very happy it's, story. It's, it's a sad story, a beautiful song, but a very mm. sad story. What made you want to put that one on the album? Well, yeah, it's a, um, it's a, just a lovely old Scottish ballad that I'd heard. I can't remember who I originally heard it from, actually, but I, I heard somebody sing it at a floor spot in a folk club once and just thought it was a beautiful story. And I tailored, I have tailored it a little bit because that's just what I do every time with traditional song, Um, you know, much to the chagrin of of purists, I'm sure, but who cares? Tailored it in Um, in what way? So um, I just, I, I kind of changed little bits about the story because it is a beautiful story, but a lot of the versions that I'd heard before, just it didn't, the story didn't quite sit right with me because a, a sadly very very common theme in folk music is that female characters are often just pretty lame because yeah. <laughs> the stories you know the song's been written by a man so i just i changed the female character every ever so slightly um and yeah just sort of i changed around the ending from the original version that i'd heard yeah and have have made it a lot more sad unfortunately but um <laughs> but yeah we we do we do love how it came out young was a farmer's daughter, beautiful and bold. Her parents died and left her with five hundred pounds in gold. So she lived with her uncle, and a wicked man was he. She lived a life of sorrow on the banks of sweet. It's a beautiful song. It was it once got all the songs together and put them in order is it like you kind of said at the beginning with the the opening song that you wanted to kind of fit in around certain types of song do you really think about the order in which people are going to be listening to it from track one to track 12 yeah personally i do have it in my head throughout the process just just mm. thinking of track order and because i it's different for everybody and is is not as common at all now in the in the sort of age of of things like spotify but i love to listen to an album as a whole and how yeah. it's intended to you know when when you see and hear that people have put thought into the sort of format of the album as a piece of work and it is intended to be listened to as a whole and i i really like that and always have enjoyed it so with my own stuff i am um, I do think about that throughout the process. I think, oh, how would this maybe sit next to this one? And there's loads of different factors of uh, at play. Like, for example, with this Banks of Sweet Dundee, how we, we segue into the, the next song, Chalkline. It, it's actually, you know, it works musically because it's like a key change to the relative minor key. So it feels like you're sort of bumped out of this kind of epically sad story. And it's yeah, I love that. just kind of catches you a little bit. Um, and doesn't feel too jarring going into the next song. So it's, it's sort of stuff like that, you know, that, that loads mm. of different factors that, that affect kind of my decision in, in where things go. 
is it the banjo that introduces the beginning of the chalk line? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. So, and, like, like you said, it's kind of going from the, the ending in Sweet Dundee where you're like, you know, yeah. sad. And <laughs> yeah. then, yeah, it really does integrate really well into chalk line. What was the writing process behind that song? Chalk line. So, so this was the one on the album that was, it, it was sort of mainly written by Jamie, but it, it is a co-write with me and Jamie, but th- yeah. this is, it, it was mainly his work and I, I was more sort of, arrangement editing kind of stuff and it's it's basically a song about <laughs> it's it, to be honest it is the uh, you must understand a lot of these are products of of lockdown yeah. um, but this <laughs> this song is kind of a song about just sort of mortality and kind of how mm-hmm. at the end of the day we are just this kind of tiny tiny little thing that is gonna just pass into obscurity throughout history and how you sort of how that is just such a weird thing for your brain to process because it's kind of human nature that we you know we're sentient and we think we're really really important and a lot of the sort of negative things that that happen in the world are kind of because of hubris and humans thinking that they're way more important than they are so jamie sort of had this idea yeah you sort of the chalk line on a coal face you know this massive expanse of black and we're just this tiny little sliver that that is just will kind of pass into obscurity but it's sort of it isn't quite as depressing as it (laughs) i just made it sound it's (laughs) no 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 no. you know it's got it's got uplifting elements too and jamie's a great jamie's a great lyricist actually he writes really Mm. really beautifully poetic lyrics um and I love the, you know, I can I can happily read this song just as a poem. It, yeah. it, it's really beautiful. So, um, yeah, it's sort of mainly Jamie's work, um, this one. There's a light Spins fish scales through the leaves And crossing bones Your frame a bit of meat And trims with gold And the seventh, well, sixth song, sorry, on the album, Nature's Law. This is quite a quite a fiery side to Sam Kelly and the Lost Boys. Yeah, well, it is. But being a band that plays a majority of traditional music, we've not really dipped our toes into the pool of protest song very much. Um, but over the last few years, as a young person and as a creative, it's impossible not to because we just have such a horrendous government at the moment and the way the country has gone over the past few years with Brexit and the whole divisiveness around that and now COVID and it's difficult not to write the occasional angry song so this is our angry song on the album and it's sort of yeah it's basically just attacking the whole sort of kind of capitalist mentality um, Mm -hmm. and the kind of conservative mentality of what I've got is mine this is just the natural order of things um some people are supposed to be above other people and yeah so it's it's basically just a an angry protest at that whole is it co-written so was it yourself that wrote it yeah me Jamie and Graham co-wrote that one um but that that actually is um it's a relatively old song Jamie and I have we've played it at at a few duo gigs sort of for the past two or three years i think so um yeah it's it's been around in the tank for a while (laughs) 
Seven Omens again, quite like an eerie song that I feel like builds up and up. Again, what what would you say is the song particularly about? So it's um, I wrote that song. Actually, this is by far the oldest oh, um, right. song on the album. Well, not not including the traditional songs, which are hundreds <laughs> of years old. I mean, yeah, in yeah. terms of my own repertoire, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote that song four hundred years ago. <laughs> no. Um, I wrote that song when I was 16 and when I was working in my family farm shop, I used to bring a little ukulele in with me and have it underneath the counter because we'd have about two customers a day or something. (laughs) So most of the time I'd just be songwriting. Um, And that song I wrote about, it was actually quite like an introspective song about something that I was going through at the time. But then I'd seen a story, a news story about, a devil worshipping cult and sort of became quite obsessed with sort of esoteric like witchcraft and devil worship and stuff for a little while and so it was a song that was about an introspective thing in my own life but sort of ended up being this sort of fictional Hmm. situation through the lens of this like esoteric kind of devil worshipping cult so it's um I wanted to deliberately kind of leave the lyrics quite ambiguous and not yeah. make them too specific to to my situation. And I think that is kind of, it is sort of one of the ones on the album where I am very interested to see like if people do ascribe their own meaning to the yeah. lyrics and stuff like that. So. Why did you choose to do it now on this album? Like you said, you wrote in 20, um, when you were 16. Yeah. How come you decided to put it on this one? Well, we used to, when like back in the day when we first started and it was just me Jamie the banjo player and Evan the drummer when we were all at uni we used to play that song all the time and it was um, a real staple of our set and even when we started out playing in the folk scene and it just sort of slowly got bumped off the set by the fact that we were getting more into to traditional music and stuff like that and then we were and just a couple of years ago we were sort of having a conversation about it and kind of reminisced about how much we actually really liked that song and how it was just as as does happen a lot for whatever reason it had just sort of fallen out of the set list but but we actually did really like it so yeah just decided to put it on this album um and yeah I'm, I'm really pleased with 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 how it's come out because that song was always about these sort of this block harmony thing that we had going um as yeah. a trio and when we do it live that that'll come out as well with the is band. that all of all three of you singing when you did like towards the end yeah and um so it's me jamie and graham singing it um on this album because just the way it worked out with covid and certain people being only able to come in for a few days and stuff like that it was me jamie and graham with a sort of core team throughout the whole process so most of the vocals we actually just did ourselves um but obviously live it will be it will be the full band doing harmonies Something 
Track number eight, obviously it's the one on Irish Lament and you sing it in Gaelic. Yep. I'm going to go with Mogil uh, it's, it's Yeah, that's basically it. it's Mogil Ma. Um, yeah, okay. So the, yeah, the, the sort of GH is like softened, but like okay. only sometimes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't, I'm not a Gaelic speaker, so I don't, don't really understand the ins and outs of it. I just grew yeah. up singing songs in Gaelic and my granddad spoke a little bit of it, but for some reason, it, yeah, it's Mogilamar, but yeah. when that G-H-I-L-E is just by itself, it's a hard G. So oh, okay. I, I, I don't understand the linguistics of it, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> How was it singing in Gaelic? I love it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's something I've always done and I have always been fascinated with language just in general. So I, I've sung in Cornish in the past with, <laughs> with a project called The Changing Room and uh, it's just something that I love with, especially with song um, as a singer, because you just think about your approach to singing in a different way when it's sort of unfamiliar and maybe different vowel and consonant sounds to what you're used to. And it sort of makes you think about how different languages work with song, because hmm. like famously, English is just a very easy and nice sounding language to sing in, whereas a, a lot aren't so much um and gaelic i just i think is is a really beautiful and interesting language to sing in um and that's a song that i've that i've always sung and it's you know it's it's a little bit scary putting it on an album because it is sort of like almost like the national anthem uh, of of gaelic in in ireland really um so we i was sort of dithering as to whether i wanted to actually do it um in case it offended anybody but then I thought you know I I love singing the song and Mm. I want to sing it so that's all that should matter really and it's yeah it's it's another thing about singing in another language is sort of um finding your own meaning in the words and if you don't know what the actual words are it's it's quite a nice thing to just let the song take you to a, a your own kind of place um where with that one it is a sort of heart-wrenching kind of love story but the mm. lyrics really are rubbish um <laughs> when you look at the translations what, so, what is the direct translation so mogilamar means my dashing darling or something uh. like that and it's basically it's a song about um from the perspective of a woman who's love has gone off to sea and never come back kind of thing <laughs> but it's just so like <laughs> like clearly written by some guy imagining what said woman would be feeling and so there's you know verses like I am a sad and ugly widow or something like that and it just yeah it's actually much better just to find your own yeah I was gonna say as a woman I'm not sure if someone called me dashing darling it's probably not much (laughs) compliment (laughs) yeah no not In the
And it, it does move quite um, swiftly into track nine, which is Maria. Mm. And you've got a female touch on that one because Laura Wilkie comes on with fiddle. Um, mm. Yeah, why specifically did you get Laura coming in on that song? Well, it just, it just, it was one of those things that when we were recording throughout the process, it just kind of felt right. We felt like we wanted a fiddle to bolster the tune and we felt we wanted a sort of different style of playing to the kind of sort of more classic folky style that, that Toby has. And we asked Laura to do it. She's just, she's an amazing fiddle player who plays with Canaris Quintet and, and lots of other stuff. And um, yeah, we sort of wanted that more sort of classical violin sound, I suppose. Mm. And, um, and you know, she's a good friend, friend of ours. So we just asked her to do it. But um yeah, that that song is um, it's it's my favorite on the album actually because it's. I was going to um, ask you that one. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's a song about my grandmother who is called Maria, um, Maria Kelly, and um, it's just sort of about me growing up, my childhood. I was very very close to to my grandparents mm. on my mum's side, who was my Irish granddad Tony Kelly, and then her Maria, and she's a. She's just an amazing lady. She's a four foot nine Indonesian woman, and wow. just um, she's just is is one of those people who just wherever she goes, she just completely lights up a room, and everybody mm-hmm. absolutely loves her. And she was a huge, just huge influence on me when I was growing up. And I just wanted to write a song about I her, basically, that. and that's and that's what came out. <laughs> oh, I love that. I do love the "Can you hear me now?" And then it's mm. like you literally just almost like pouring yeah. your heart out when you sing the Maria. I. Lo- I yeah is vocally is that one of the hardest songs or it is yeah yeah Yeah. it it took um it took quite a lot of takes that um (laughs) because I don't generally do much belting Mm. um but you know it was it was a really good fun one to record and that actually was one of the ones that we didn't know whether we were going to put it on there the song hadn't really come together but just really came together in the studio and that was the beauty of of being able to just stay at a studio for a month and just be able to experiment. We're so used to in the past when you're paying for studio time, you know, you're paying two, 300 quid a day sometimes and you're constantly on the clock and you're thinking, right, we need to get in there and we're in there at 10, five past 10, we need to be doing the first take of guitar and blah, blah, blah. But whereas when you're actually staying at a place, it's just sort of like, you know, you get up in the morning, just sort of, have a coffee just waltz into the studio take your time do a bit of writing and you know we felt like Coldplay or something just (laughs) having a studio for a month Um, so yeah it was lovely (laughs) (laughs) where the clear old Avon moor is flowing and the bracing wind glowing is blowing where we go is not for knowing but the stars are shining for you And track 10, See That My Grave Is Kept Clean. Is it you that does the electric guitar solo on that one? 
No, that's Jamie. Um, oh. Jamie, uh, Jamie's an incredible guitar player. He uh, actually, when I first met him, he was he didn't even play banjo. He was a guitarist when we we went to a music college in Brighton, and uh, yeah, he was just a guitarist. But I, the banjo came about because I was starting a band with this other guy and we were both guitarists and I was like we've got to get this guy Jamie involved he's amazing but we don't want free guitarists and <laughs> Jamie was like well I've ju- actually just been given this old banjo I could just try learn wow. banjo and then like he's one of those people like just turned up next week and was just you know banjo genius so mm. yeah he's an incredible guitar player and that see that my grave was kept clean was yeah it was one of his one of the tracks that he brought to the table um it's a an old blues song and he sort of had this very particular vision of of where he wanted it to go and then as me and graham came into the process it did sort of change a bit and we we made it a bit more kind of harmony focused Mm. as to where it was originally going to be um because you know we just sort of found some some lovely harmonies and it's a lovely melody when Very i first depressing. heard i was like woohoo electric guitar it was cool yeah we took we had a sort of that that was sort of like a two o'clock in the morning farting around with um guitar amp sounds and it was jamie on his his resonator guitar sort of electroacoustic resonator guitar playing with slide um and yeah sort of it, you know some of the sounds he was getting out of it, it was supposed to be a kind of really sort of weeping kind of sounding guitar solo um, i think he did a good job from the electric guitar really stood out on that song and then deal with fire um mm. i particularly always love the the violin on that mm. one and it's yeah so like hard hitting and very very punchy yeah it um, was that one of your own songs yeah that was that was one that me and jamie co-wrote it's um actually it's a, a song that again is in a similar vein to nature's law um is basically a song protesting the state of things at the moment and in in particular that one was was using um jamie and i are both huge fans of of greek mythology um and that was actually inspired by the prometheus myth of um stealing fire from the gods and giving it to humankind and we sort of used that as a metaphor for um basically rising up against our current government yeah um obviously not by you know killing them but just by <laughs> voting <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the sorry you you said about the fiddles the violin sound in that that was another thing so we we knew we wanted toby to rip out some kind of distorted violin solo in that one and so again we just spent we spent an evening sort of messing around with sounds and we were kind of we had a bunch of influences that we were sort of listening to like electric guitar sounds like we'd listen to voodoo child by Jimi hendrix and stuff like that and we just wanted to get this proper like dirty distorted non-folky fiddle sound and toby just totally went for it and was just absolutely smashing out these incredible fiddle solos and it was just the hardest job of that was choosing one which one to use for the final uh final take you know because they they were all awesome so 
um yeah that was that was a really good fun fun one to record And the final track, obviously, you kind of mentioned the the writing behind the wishing tree. Did you always want to have the title track last on the album? Did it feel like the right point to have that on the album? No, I didn't. Um, I actually didn't imagine that one being last. It was only as we sort of came to record it that that happened, and that was because of how we how we basically ended the song, which is not is not how we intended to end it, but it just. <laughs> Um, Jamie and I were, were recording the guitar and banjo at the same time and we sort of just we just kind of when the song was supposed to stop we just kind of kept playing mm. <laughs> we just sort of um, just sort of slowly wound down and kind of Graham just kept recording and and we just really liked what came out it just felt like you know we just we just made this quite intense kind of package of work of songs and then it just, for some reason to all of us, it just felt nice to end it with just us sort of like jamming with each other, just letting the song wind down. Like drift naturally. off almost. Yeah, and we had originally intended to have the end of the song as a fade out, which we really don't do very often. Mm. Um, and that was sort of what we thought might be nice to, and a different thing to end the album with just sort of a fade out rather than this big how we've we've often done finished our albums is with like a big epic finale and then it's just like boom we're done and oh yeah isn't that great <laughs> but like <laughs> with this we kind of just wanted to like wind down gently a little bit more and and it mm. sort of it felt natural to do it with that song um and we just sort of decided to keep it and you know going against every kind of thing that we'd been told in in kind of album recording protocol the songs like seven minutes long or something like yeah, that. it's the longest you know, song on the album i was gonna say that yeah um which you know it just goes against everything you're supposed to do with you know radio friendly pop music yeah. and stuff like that and we just didn't care really it just felt well, right for the song exactly and... if queen had done that with bohemian rhapsody we would have all been lost wouldn't we? exactly so. yeah exactly it's <laughs> comparable of course yeah no i think i think we're we're probably as good as queen <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're saying right basically yeah <laughs> um i noticed that the lost boys and pretty peggy there mm. was always just one like instrumental track on each of those albums and the wishing mm. tree in particular has probably like the longest introduction of an instrumental build up to the song was mm. that something like did you make a conscious decision or we're not going to have a pure instrumental track and maybe have one song or did it just like work out that way well we actually did originally intend to because as, as with with any kind of album process there's a bunch of songs that you write with the intention of them being on the album will get together and then they just don't make the final list yeah. so we, we had that with this album and one one of the tracks was we had intended to do this just tune basically instrumental um that we just thought in the end it didn't really it just didn't really work with the rest of the album and it might be something that we revisit later but um with the wishing tree that song we how we always played it and how i wrote that song originally was 
with this very particular Irish tune in mind, and it's a tune called the Listener Gun, which which is what that that tune on that song is. Um, and basically, when I was younger and was into listening to my granddad playing Irish tunes and learning to play them myself, that was one of my favourite tunes. Um, and so it's sort of it's part of the whole song in the a lot of the time I spent at the wishing tree I'd be either playing that tune or thinking about it so it's sort of part of that kind of memory so mm. it, it sort of it had to go in there but we for me it doesn't feel the same as how we've worked with tunes and instrumentals in in other stuff in the past because it feels like the tune is actually part of the song a lot of the song is influenced by the tune so yeah it, it, it was quite an interesting and different thing to do and we and we just decided to start off the song with just playing that tune round you know as if we're just like folk band at gig playing tune or yeah. a tune session or whatever um and yeah like i said it does it does make the song just stupidly long but no i love it we just really liked it so decided yeah to keep it. <laughs> that's so true actually the best when hearing instrumentals it's always a case of like i naturally will just sing along to an instrumental and mm. then the it's come in you don't necessarily know that you're doing that but like mm. you say it's all it all feels like one com- obviously it was all one complete song yeah and the sort of that's you know irish tunes just are objectively beautiful melodies and they make you they sort of they draw you in and there's a reason why these tunes have survived for hundreds of years and it's because they're they're amazing so yeah. it yeah it's a, it's an amazing sort of source to be influenced by i suppose So I've got some just quick fire questions about the album. I did yep. was going to ask which was your favourite, but you said Maria. Maria. Uh, yeah. Which song would you say came together the quickest? Um, probably Nature's Law. Actually, we we wrote that in an evening, and it was just very. It was one of those ones that was just very quick and simple to record, and we just really bashed it out and just sort of came together really nicely and easily so even though it's quite you know it's one of the most technically difficult ones on the album it just came together super quickly yeah which song would you say took the longest probably maria actually because of the nature of it um we were right i was still writing the song while we were in the studio so it went through a few different iterations um and yeah i think that took the longest which song are you most looking forward to playing live I'm really looking forward to playing Steel Fire live. Oh, nice. Um, because it just, yeah, getting that rude fiddle sound um, <laughs> yeah. live is going to be fun. But it's, it's close between that. I'm also really looking forward to playing Omens live because I just, I love harmony singing mm. and I, I love choir singing. And it, that song, it feels like this big block choir harmony where, whereas in the past with the Lost Boys, we've done a lot of sort of gang vocals and kind of rudimentary harmonies. It's more yeah. sort of nice, um, us all in kind of white gowns standing at the front, holding <laughs> candles kind of vibe. Uh, do you have a favourite lyric off the album? Um 
to be honest, probably Jamie's lyrics in Chalkline. Really? I just think nice. I think that's the when when you flick through the lyric booklet, that's the one that just stands out to me. Is I could like that could just be a poem. I could just mm. read it as a. I think the others need the need the song to sort of go with the lyrics um, yeah. to make it make sense, really. But but that it just it's a lovely piece of poetry. I think. And to finish with, what I was going to do is give you three different occasions, and you've got to pick three songs one for each occasion that you would play off the album. So the first occasion would be a wedding. The second is a dinner party. And the third one would be you're at the start of a road trip in the car. Okay. You've got wedding, dinner, road trip. Okay. So wedding, I would go for see that my grave is kept. No, no, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) I I think for a wedding, it would it would have to be guiding light because um mm. you know it's it's a love song and yeah it just sort of is kind of just celebrating all the things that you should have with a partner that you're in love with and yeah. so that would be my choice uh, for a nice. wedding and then what was the next dinner, party. dinner party um bit of background dinner music party. friends uh, around probably the wishing tree to be honest i think i feel Ooh, like nice. that's kind of you know it's not it doesn't sort of it's not too intrusive musically and it's quite a nice thing to it's got the nice tune in it and a nice thing to have on the background and it's really long so nice. <laughs> it might last yeah. for the whole dinner party <laughs> yeah like it and the last one was road trip road you're trip. in a car starting off a road trip well for me that would be bluebird well maybe that's insensitive as it's about a crash but Ooh, i think bluebird is just good for me it's like it's good driving music. I just when you're driving, you want something mm-hmm. that's just sort of uplifting, and or maybe Tinker's Pochine. Then actually, that's that's less dangerous territory. Um, yeah, just something that sort of you know keeps you uplifted and and awake, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I'd go with Tinker's. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I think we've well and truly uncovered um, the wishing tree. And good luck with the album. You're going on tour? Is it November? Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, yeah, I've just lost half half this John McCusker tour I'm supposed to be doing coming yeah. up. But, um, yeah. Yeah, hopefully the album tour will remain unscathed. And yeah, it starts on the, the 6th of, of November in Cambridge and then Amazing. going all around the country, finishing off at Hailsham Pavilion in Suffolk, in Sussex, sorry, on the 13th of November. So yeah, very much looking forward to it. Amazing. Well, I, last time I spoke to you, I said that I saw you underneath the Stars Music Festival. It was amazing. Amazing. And yeah. Um, yeah, together with the band, it's literally some of the best music I've ever seen live. So hopefully oh, we'll get a chance to come see you live very, very soon. But thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. I really That's appreciate all it. All right. Thank all you. the best of everything. Thank you, Sam. Cheers, Lauren. Take care. Bye.